What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness, the podcast that focuses on sports cards, collectibles, the hobby, and everything else in between. We actually did a special two-part episode on this one. I sat down with Tim Gallagher. He is literally the GOAT of autograph collecting. He has had over 25,000 items autographed in his life, either through the mail or in person. He's been doing this for 40 years. He's got stuff from MJ. He's got stuff from LeBron. So we broke it into two parts. First part focuses on more vintage and Bird and MJ. And then the second part, we'll, uh, we'll focus on LeBron next next week. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, there's a sale by Bird. Underneath the DJ. Kick is on the way. And it is Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Sports Card Madness. I am here with Tim Gallagher. And in my opinion, I'll let him introduce himself in a minute. But in my opinion, Tim is the goat of autograph collecting. Um, I've never run into somebody with more autographs and more years doing it in my entire time in the hobby. It's incredible. Um, So you guys are going to love to hear what he has to say. He's got a lot of cool stories. So Tim, um, I figured you could introduce yourself and uh, tell us what you're up to and maybe how you got started in all this. Sure. Thanks, Nick. Well, thanks for having me on. And uh, I've enjoyed uh, listening to some of your podcasts, watching some of them. Adrian Dantley, one brought back some memories of uh, seeing him play in college at Notre Dame. Uh, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, which will be part of my collecting background. But when teams would come in to play Dayton, uh, especially with all Americans like Adrian Dantley, you know, my buddies and I were right there, you know, at, uh, get, getting the stuff signed. And uh, I remember getting Dantley. Uh, actually, the first time was his freshman year when they were on that team that broke UCLA's winning streak. Although they came into Dayton later that season and Dayton beat them uh, in one of the monumental games in Dayton history, which is a whole nother story. But um, although in those days, there really wasn't much to get of a guy. So you know, I got him on an index card at the time. Right. Uh, and then by the time he rolled around as a senior, he was on a couple sporting news covers and uh, got him signed there. But uh, um, yeah, cool. I remember watching AD in Notre Dame and uh, so cool to see him as a guest for you. But um, yeah, I, I think your intro is is, is pretty uh, high standards to live up to. I, I don't know. You know, we'll get into what I do now as a consignment director, but I'm humbled all the time about my collection. Now, I've been collecting since the late 1960s, basketball, baseball, football, initially for, you know, let's say the first 10, 10 years plus, and then kind of have gravitated toward basketball and, and focused solely on basketball now, but had a lot of great and fun collecting experiences. Uh, kind of the short version of how it all got started, you know, like my buddies, we grew up following sports and collecting cards, you know, whatever was available, you know, going to our local drugstore and buying the packs that were on the shelf and, you know, following sports. But I was fortunate that I had a cousin, uh, Bill Baker, uh, who since has passed away uh, some years ago, but he was about five years older than me and really kind of showed me the ropes of, of how, how it all was done. So one summer, you know, this must have been 1966, 1967, they lived in Chicago. So being cousins, we'd see each other in the summer and occasionally on holidays and so on. So he showed up one summer in, in Dayton and we went down to Cincinnati for a Reds game, which I'd been to some games with my dad and maybe gotten a program signed and not anything sophisticated at all. 
and, and not really on any sort of a, a mission to, to collect things. But my cousin had baseball cards with him. He had a manila folder with some Sports Illustrated tear outs or Sport Magazine. You know, back in the day, Sport Magazine, some of those color photos were like works of art. Uh, and, um, you know, he had some of those in his folder, index cards, and, and you know, went down early before the game to the team hotel where players were kind of accessible in, in those days, you know, before the game, get there early enough during batting practice down by the dugout, wait after the game by the player parking lot or the team bus. So, uh, you know, kind of showed me a whole world that I didn't know existed. <laughs> and especially in those days, most players were pretty compliant, right? Yeah. I mean, you had a few tough, tough guy, you know, Don Clendenin and Frank Robinson. And, you know, there, there were some guys that weren't very, very nice about signing that, um, but for the most part, you know, most everyone w was good. And, um, and then my cousin also showed me how to mail out for autographs, you know, with a stamp self-addressed envelope. And, um, you know, and I wasn't very sophisticated initially with that, uh, you know, kind of a shout out to the U.S. Postal Service. So, and, you know, before uh, zip codes and, you know, obviously there was no internet or ways to get all this information, right? So, you know, I think the first autograph I mailed to Paul Robinson, who was a running back on the Bengals, I, I probably addressed it. Paul Robinson, Cincinnati Bengals, Cincinnati, Ohio. I, I don't know if it was more sophisticated than that. I might have put, you know, Nippert Stadium where they played, you know, the Bengals inaugural season. But that wouldn't have been where their offices were or anything. But somehow, you know, 10 days later, you know, this signed photo comes back in the mail and, like magic, right? It's like, like, uh, like magic and uh, shared that with my buddies. And then we got more sophisticated in terms of mailing out and stamp self-addressed envelopes and, uh, and all of that. So, so that really got things all off and running. That would have been in the late 1960s. And, um, and, uh, and I'd say that where basketball kind of jumped ahead of the pack, just with some fortunate timing. So growing up in Dayton, in 1967, which I would have been a young kid, but Dayton made it all the way to the NCAA finals in basketball. They lost to UCLA. Coach Wooden, Kareem, as everyone knows him now, was then Lou Alcindor, was a sophomore. So that you know, was all just getting rolling. Now, UCLA had won a couple titles before that, but really the, the Wooden era that I think most people are familiar with and with Kareem and, and the the run that they were embarking on was just getting started. But I saw what that did to the community of Dayton. Again, I, I was a kid, so I wasn't, you know, consciously processing all this, but kind of the, the spark that that provided to the whole community and Dayton basketball was a pretty big thing already. <laughs> but when that happened, you know, the, the whole town, you know, went crazy about it. And there were a couple players, a guy named Don May, who was my boyhood hero. He's, on a number of tops cards that you, you probably have probably have some signed ones, but uh, you know, he was my, my hero and um, you would occasionally get lucky. And my dad would score tickets to a game. They played in an old smaller field house. Then um, they eventually moved in to university of Dayton arena, which is still heavily used today. More NCAA tournament games are played there than, than any other venue. They have the first four there. So Obviously, growing up in that community of Dayton, it's, you know, basketball is a big, big deal. Sure. And so that Dayton team, Don May, the success of that team, you know, we lived in a house that had a little hoop on the, the side. There was like a side paved 
part of the driveway that there really wasn't ever a car there, but there was a hoop against that side of the house. And so I started spending a lot more time out there dribbling the basketball, getting shots up, you know, dreaming of uh, future glory of, uh, of basketball and, and loving, loving the game. So that, you know, that really set me off on the basketball course in particular, but especially back in those days, you know, my buddies and I, we were very seasonal, right? Baseball season, we focused on baseball, played baseball, played pickup baseball, played in our little league teams. You know, it was just, you kind of cycled with the seasons. That's a little different than the world we live in now, where even at a young age, kids are specializing and all of that. But uh, yep. we were kind of ahead of our time, I think, a few of my buddies and I, where we kind of locked in on basketball early and uh, and, and really focused on that, both to try to be players as well as collecting. Right. I think you're like 40 years ahead of me. <laughs> so you were doing this way back in the day with the tall boys and everything. That's a quick follow-up question I had, you know, what, um, it seems like you weren't getting a lot of cards signed per se at first. It was like index cards and magazines. Was that kind of like, if you went to a stadium and wanted to get like, you know, something signed by Jordan, were you showing up with like a magazine or a card or a shoe or and in, like, what were you, what were you bringing at the time? Uh, well, yeah, well, when we're, we'll get to the Jordan era here, but yeah, initially it was just whatever was available. And, you know, those tall boys didn't come out till 1969. So I, I'd gone to some NBA games before that and there were no basketball cards that even existed. I mean, I guess, especially where I was cons wieners, you know, which is kind of an obscure right. set, but some of the Cincinnati Royals and those are really cool cards, but I wouldn't have known where to go. You know, there weren't card shops or, you know, um, I, I guess, you know, occasionally you'd peer to the back of the sporting news and see things about baseball cards for sale or things like that. But that was kind of a whole nother world. <laughs> you know, you kind of bought what was available. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the focus of the collection were sports cards, index cards and magazine photos. Yeah. Shoes or any other kinds of memorabilia um, were, were not really easy to transport and we weren't really thinking on, on those terms uh, yeah. either. You know, the index cards are obviously pretty basic, but not everyone was on a baseball card or basketball card or football card. Um, and not everyone was featured in sports and sports illustrated either. So it, it was kind of a nice, easy, all purpose thing to, to get. And I, I'm probably in a, a minority, but I've still love some of the signed index cards I got back in the day. And, for a long, long time, you know, even to this day, kind of like to have a player on an index card just as a kind of a foundation of the collection. And right, I know. Some of them end up be cool once they get slapped by PSA now, and you know, yep. you know, they present present kind of kind of nicely, especially in those days when players uh, maybe were a little more uh, conscious of giving a, a nice signature, right? Right, and had a little more was part of their brand or part of their style, maybe not even consciously, but you know, now some things are so edited or it's just a scribble. Uh, it's hard to even classify it as an autograph sometimes in my mind. I knew they do shorten up over time. Um, like Chris Mullen, for example, used to write his entire name. Now it's just like Chris. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. So, you know, let's, let's get into that Jordan experience here. I, like I personally want to know, how many times did you get something signed by Michael Jordan and how on earth did you pull it off? And like, when did it happen? Sure. Well, the first 
time I got Michael Jordan was through the mail, his freshman year at North Carolina, which going back, you know, so this would have been what, um, 1980, you know, approximately, I guess, right. His freshman year, whatever year that was. Right. Uh, um, so my buddies and I, uh, we're going to jump back in time a little bit here, but when the magazines would come out each year around this time of year, right. The college basketball preview issues are, will, will be coming out soon. Right. Well, in those days, you know, street and Smith's or there were some other more independent publications. We'd buy the magazine. We'd look at, here's the top, you know, 50 college players, or here's the all American, you know, teams that are projected for this season. And we would divide those up and, and mail to them. And so I kind of them of doing that in the late 1960s and, uh, and with my buddies and we'd put in three index cards. So if two of my buddies were kind of at my same level, had my same passion and appetite for collecting. So we kind of worked out a deal. Hey, we'll send three index cards. When the guy answers, I'll keep one. I'll give one to you, Jack. I'll give one to you, Vince. And then they would do the same thing. Now, occasionally a guy would personalize or maybe only sign one. Not usually though. I mean, it usually worked out pretty well, but even the guy that maybe only signed one or personalized, well, we knew that was a sure thing that that guy would answer. So then the others would just write to him and get him on our own. But we had some incredible coverage for many years doing that. Right. It was almost so like first, playing an index fund in the stock market, right? You're just kind of going for the top players, hoping it works out. And you happened to get Michael Jordan, which worked right. out great. Trust me, I have a whole shoebox, shoeboxes full of A to Z index cards of guys that didn't turn out to be Michael right. Jordan or, right. uh, or David Thompson or Bill Walton or, you know, Charles Barkley or, or whatever, right? Although some of them, it's always good to save them because some have turned out to be coaches or you know successful executives in in the league, which right. maybe they they weren't star players, but you know they were maybe projected to be once upon a time. So the initial Jordan was through the mail, and um, and his penmanship was much uh, more neat. Um, you know, I, I can post some of these, but you know, and I was a little worried because they were so early on. Is PSA? going to even know what this is, right? Are they going to recognize that this is a very early Jordan signature? I mean, and right. there's examples of it. You'll see a North Carolina, you know, team poster or something that he would have signed, you know, at the time. So there are other examples out there of him. And again, his signatures kind of evolved over time as well, although pretty iconic and, and generally the same, you know, style. Yep. But uh, so initially getting him through the mail, but there was no ray of light from the heavens, you know, when I, when I got it back, it was okay. This guy could be a pretty good player for North Carolina. Again, this is pre, you know, his fresh, you know, the year was just getting going. Right. So yep. um, obviously at the end of the season, when he hit the game winner to beat Georgetown, his star started to rise, but you know, I've told a lot of people in the, in the hobby and from collecting even into Jordan's first couple years in the league. I mean, it was exciting to get him to sign. And I'll get to some uh, in-person examples in, in a minute, but um, I can't tell you that though it was really much different than getting Isaiah Thomas or you know some of the other star players of the time, right? I mean, you know, yes, he was a star. You know, Dominique Wilkins, Isaiah. I mean, I, I was just as excited to get those guys, right? Um, yep. Because Jordan. You know, it's hard to imagine now, you know, kind of looking back at the stature that he achieved. Right. But 
even though he was an all-star and a great player, you know, I, I would say until he started winning the dunk contests and then the Bulls, you know, got, got that first championship, you know, you know at the time, at least from my experience, it was more of a gradual ascent to greatness, right? I mean, looking back, it's easy to say, oh, this guy's the greatest of all time, the greatest player, and everyone must have known it right away. Well, in some ways, but, um, but the first time I actually got him in person was in 1984 with the Olympic team. So kind of the last, uh, you know, amateur dream team, I guess you would call it, right? The team Bobby Knight coached, you know, with, with Jordan and, um, you know, famously guys that didn't make the team, you know, Charles Barkley and, uh, you know, John Stockton and a few of those guys that got that got cut almost became more famous uh, in some ways than some of the guys that stayed. But that team did a, um, a tour of, of exhibition games getting ready for the Olympics, which were in Los Angeles. And I was living in Phoenix. So part of my success was just geography. I lived in Phoenix from 1980 to 87. And again, a much more innocent time in the hobby and uh, kind of uh, um, easy access to, to most players. So the Olympic team played an exhibition game in Phoenix. And you can go on YouTube and find it. And you can hear Billy Packer kind of drop some hints like, you know, when Jordan starts going off in this game against NBA all-stars, right? Like Magic Johnson, Walter Davis, you know, I forget who all was on the rock, but these were the top NBA players of the time. And Jordan was basically having his way with them. Um, and you can hear on the broadcast, Billy Packer drop some hints that, you know, boy, I haven't really seen many players ever do, you know, things like this. So again, looking back, there's some hints that were dropped out there in the famous Bobby Knight comments that this guy might be the greatest player I've ever seen when you took a look at the whole package. But anyhow, right. living in Phoenix at the time, obviously I was aware that game was coming to town. Being from Dayton, a good family friend is Don Donaher, who coached Dayton for many years and was one of Bob Knight's assistants on the 84 Olympic team. So I was in contact with Coach Donaher. He provided a ticket to the game. I knew where they were staying. He said, yeah, come on down to the hotel, have, you know, have you meet some of the guys. You know, he's known me since I was a kid, right? His, his son is one of my lifelong closest buddies. So, and again, Jordan was one of many stars on that team, you know, like Wayman Tisdale, Patrick Ewing, not a good signer, by the way. Um, you know, <laughs> Sam, Sam Perkins, um, you know, a lot of that, you know, excellent players on that team. So I remember going to the Hyatt Regency in Phoenix, uh, meeting up with Coach Donaher, you know, got there, you know, knew the itinerary for the day when they were going to be on the bus. And so had Jordan sign a few things that day, you know, first time in person, which was, uh, which was cool. And, you know, a little more rush now, but still, you know, gave you almost every letter and, and the, you know, the iconic autograph had, was really starting to take shape by then, right? Wow. Where, the, where the ones I got early on through the mail, you know, it's very neat penmanship. And, you know, although you see some of the, the swoops of the, the M and the J that became more pronounced later. But, um, and then once he got into the NBA, I'm still living in Phoenix in his first couple of years in the league. Um, you know, I, I'm a pretty personable guy, you know, connect with people, you know, pretty well, you know, in life and business and everything else. So, 
ended up getting to know the manager of the hotel where most of the team stayed. He'd see me there. And there was usually only one to three of us getting autographs, you know, very, very few there. So it was not really any kind of a scene or, you know, you know, security was non-existent really. And, and the, the few of us that collected then were very respectful of the surroundings and the players and things I learned when I was a kid hanging around at the hotels in Cincinnati. And, you know, my dad would be over in the corner, you know, with his uh, cup of coffee, reading the paper while my buddies and I would be, you know, waiting for you know, Willie Mays to get off the elevator. Right. It, um, but these hotels in Cincinnati, the Netherland Hilton was like a palace, right. Which shares and, you know, so you, you kind of had a, uh, unspoken understanding that you know you needed to conduct yourself professionally here, right? This is a privilege being here, and mm-hmm. um, so carried that through through the rest of my collecting life, right? In terms of you know be respectful, you know kind of read the room so, sort of thing, but um, had incredible access to players over those years in Phoenix, including Jordan in his first couple years with the Bulls, then. Another fortunate circumstance was John Paxson, who signed a Sports Illustrated poster is back behind me there. I was lucky to grow up in Dayton with Jim and John Paxson. And mm-hmm. so by then, John was traded to the Bulls and became Jordan's teammate. Well, the Paxsons have known me since I was a kid, you know, knew, knew my collecting interest. I mean, they collected some cards like every other kid, but like didn't have the focus and passion that, right. that I did or a couple other buddies and and obviously they pursued the path of playing and, you know, got to the, got to the top uh, of the profession uh, doing that. But once John got on the Bulls, that was a connection as well. I mean, usually, again, the, the travel and itinerary and everything is different than it is now. You know, they weren't on charters and things like that. So usually they'd get into town. You know, John and I would maybe get dinner or get dinner after the game. After the game, they'd go back to the hotel. In those days, now they usually – you know, or on the bus and off to the charter and on to the next city or back to their home, you know, hometown. But in those days, the pace was a little slower and more access. So, so John would help me get some things signed as well. And I kind of noticed once John was there that, you know, that Jordan was, uh, you know, he was starting to become that rock star that we all know now. Right. Um, Although I remember one time, John, uh, I, I was going to pick him up for dinner and usually I would just pull up to the hotel. I mean, there weren't cell phones then either, but I, you know, I would tell him the time and I would just kind of pull up by where the valet part of the hotel was and he'd come out. And, but this time he said, Hey, you know, park, park and come in for a minute before we go. And so I walk into the lobby and there's John and Jordan sitting on the couch and uh, of the, you know, in the lobby of the hotel. Uh, it was the hotel West court, by the way, where most of the team stayed in Phoenix back in those days. Um, which wasn't downtown, I, how the teams ended up staying there and why, other than there was a mall right there. And then also a, uh, um, you know, there were some restaurants right across the street. And there's sometimes you see that picture of Jordan in a go-kart, I think with Rod Higgins and Orlando Woolridge. So there was like a little fun center across from that hotel as well, where there was miniature golf and go-karts and things like that. So that I I was probably around that day somewhere, you know, when that picture was taken. I mean, not literally there at that fun center, but I see that picture get posted from time to time. 
anyway, I walk in the lobby. I see John on the couch. He kind of waves me over and there's Jordan, although Jordan has headphones on. And, and he said, Hey, I just, you know, I thought you'd like to, to meet MJ, you know? And so Jordan, you know, took off his headphones, shook hands and, you know, spoke for like two or three minutes. And then we, you know, off to dinner, but really kind of after that access to him, other than a couple of times I'd send things to John, um, to get signed for me, like, and and all the bulls too. I mean, Pippen and, and I was, he knew I was interested in all the guys. Right. And I, so I would pace myself and not overload them. I'd send a couple of things, you know, probably twice a year, I'd send a small package of, of a couple of things. And that worked up until I'd say the late eighties. And then at that point, Jordan had become a rock star and John said, uh, you know, I, even I John have, couldn't get it done then. <laughs> even John couldn't get, you know, it, it be, it became, you know, too big of a, a, of a hassle to, yeah. to get it. And, and I totally respected that. And uh, so that, that was kind of the end of my uh, Jordan uh, collecting, although, you, you know, I was able to accumulate quite a few things. Some of them have sold in auctions, a couple of the cards that I consigned several years ago ended up, you know, leading to me getting into the business side of the hobby, <laughs> which, uh, you know, so I, I owe a lot to Michael Jordan <laughs> um, for, uh, for a couple of reasons. Right. So you, you, you were getting things signed in the mid eighties. So I imagine you had the star cards at that point and sure. 86 Fleer had come out. Were you able to get those signed by him at, at any point? Like the big cards? Yeah, all, all those. His his first few Star Company cards. Now I didn't get the full run of all the Star cards. You know, there's, you know, all those, uh, you know, additional sets. But you know, the the main, you know, his base cards from the first two Star Company years, um, which uh, and then the there's the Rookie of the Year card, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of like a little, a little supplemental set. I think Mark Eaton was on one of them, and Dan Issel you know, a couple oddball guys and then the Olympic card. And again, I, that Olympic team kind of had a special place in my heart because of coach Donaher and how well they did. And so I kind of did have a, a focused effort to get all those Olympic cards signed. Um, That's but, a... but now I, I, you know, through auctions and sales, I, I, I still have the, the is a, a, you know, base Olympic card signed, you know, from that Olympic set. And then the second star company card, you know, the one where he's kind of going back on defense. That's kind yeah. of my, that's my favorite Jordan card. I, I know not necessarily the most valuable, but just got a beautiful signature on it. I just like the, the coloring and, you know, and the, um, yeah, even more so than his, you know, star company rookie, which is a cool card, but you know, yeah, the colors like the other one, the aesthetics, of the other one for me. And I, I totally know that you know a lot of this is very subjective in terms of what collectors like and what are their favorites and that kind of thing but yes uh you know again kind of going back to your early question of when i was a kid i you know i, I collected what was available and so mm-hmm. fortunately there was a uh, a card shop in phoenix a couple of them but you know a card shop where those were available you know the star company and again with the NBA teams all coming in and um, that that's what there was to get again. And, uh, and, you know, I, I thought they were a little different, a little unusual coming in the little bags and, you know, this is, this is a little different, but 
I liked all the information on the back, you know, cause I, yep. I'm a sponge for just consuming any details about these players, where they're from, you know, where they were born, when they were born, what teams they played for, you know, all of it. Right there. And so I thought they were pretty informational and, and they, they weren't too busy. So they were pretty good to get signed. Right. They're you know, just the layout of them as well. Yep. So, um, yeah, I've, I've got hundreds and hundreds of star company cards signed because that's what there was. Who knew that, you know, at the time, especially the 86 Fleer, I mean, that that signed card, I have one myself signed in ballpoint for my full 1986 Fleer autograph set. I'm going to purchase a Sharpie one soon from somebody who got him in person um, in 1988. I'm going to do that in October. So I'm really looking forward to that. But who knew at the time that, that card, getting it signed, you know, today that's 70 grand, 50 grand, depending on the card quality and the auto quality. It just, it's just like, it's crazy how valuable they got, especially over the last few years or the last five years. Right. Yeah. No, no one could have foreseen that, of course. Well, there's, you could say that about a lot of things in the hobby, but, um, uh, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, when the 86 Fleer set came out, and again, that's when I was in my autograph collecting prime in Phoenix. So, okay, Star Company's out of the out of the picture, and now Fleer's back into the picture. So, just you know, I, I bought them by the. I probably bought you know a handful of boxes of, of the cards. Again, I, I I did keep one. I have one of the boxes, you know, with Larry Bird. I've been debating on getting that signed. I know he's available to you know to sign. So it, it's not in pristine shape or anything but for some reason i kept one but again the reason i bought multiples was not again with any thought of future value but it was they were so affordable and you know if somehow the signature i got didn't uh, you know i liked having some backups right so if somehow one of them got smudged or the, the sharpie you know the signature wasn't up to my standards or it was just good to have some extras and, and they were so affordable, it was, you know, it was easy to, to pick up more. Yep, and I remember sense. it was funny when I moved to San Diego, I still had a couple of boxes of them and met this woman who was a neighbor at the time. And she was from Yugoslavia and she was mentioning her cousin was a huge basketball fan back in Yugoslavia. And I, I remember giving her hundreds of 86 Fleer cards. You know, this would have been in the late 80s. Just, oh, send these on, you know, you're, you're going to send a package, just, send, you know, if he loves basketball, you know, again, thinking nothing. I'm sure there were some Jordans in there. Yeah. Um, now yeah. the packs are, um, I have one, it's worth uh, $3,000, you know, slabbed, that 25 cent pack. It's crazy. Right. I don't know what became, worth... she, she moved back to over there and, you know, then there was the civil war over that, you know, who knows whatever became of her or them, but. I do think about that on occasion. Imagine if they're in an attic somewhere over there. Just, I mean, the box is 150 grand, you know, it's yeah, crazy. It was, uh, yeah, these would have been the, you know, the wax the display boxes, you know, like, sure. like in yeah. the stores. But um, yeah, I mean, that's how plentiful and, um, uh, you know, like with no awareness of these are going to be really worth something someday kind of thing. I mean, I still have plenty and plenty of commons and raw yeah. ones, but you know, not Jordans or anything like that lying around, but um, yeah, that was kind of an interesting time. Um, you know, and I, I think that kind of, you know, the seventies to the, you know, 
I, I guess just before Bird and Magic, you know, kind of came into the league, you know, and I totally loved the way those guys played and what they meant to the game and, and all of that. But kind of the, you know, I think the seventies is a little bit underappreciated and guys like Dantley were, I mean, he played very well into the eighties as well, but, you know, guys like Dantley and Bernard King and Marcus Johnson and Pistol um, Pete, you know, he's another Pistol big Pete, one. David, David Thompson, you know, Dave Cowens, you know, just my buddies and I, you know, we kind of wondered why isn't everybody into this, right? This is, this is great, you know, and, and I know the league had some issues and, um, you know, they've been well-documented, but as far as we were concerned, it was great. And for us, the pl closest place in the seventies, once the Cincinnati Royals moved to Kansas city was to go to Indianapolis. And a lot of times you'll see pictures posted of Pacers games with, you know, George McGinnis or people like that. And you see, whole sections of empty seats, right? Even though basketball was huge in, in Indiana and Indianapolis, it was pretty easy ticket, you know, anytime we'd go, right? And, Different you know, I, you know, I was away at college at times, but I, you know, we would kind of map it out and, oh, the Jazz are going to be playing you know, with Pistol Pete, you know, we, we've got to go, right? It's over Christmas break and we'll, we'll be home. And so my buddies and I would go, or the Knicks are coming in with uh, Earl Monroe, you know, Spencer Haywood, Bob McAdoo, you know, we were all over it, but uh, not many others were. Right. So, Tim, before I fast forward a bit to the LeBron era, because I, I want to hear about how you got LeBron's autograph, just given yes. that he was a star from a very young age and there probably was never an, an easy time to get his autograph. Before I do that, one very quick question for you. How many things off the top of your head do you think you've gotten signed in your life through the mail and in person in total? Give or take a few thousand. All right, everyone. Part two of this episode will drop next Tuesday, and we'll get the answer to this question and dive a bit more into LeBron and what getting his autograph was like. Until then, have a great week, everyone.